following audio is from the Anglican Church, Caroline Springs. For more information about the church, go to taccs.org.au. What do you fear? What is the thing that keeps you up at night? The thing that makes your heart beat a little bit faster? The thing that makes you anxious? Fear is a universal emotion. Everyone has experienced it at one stage. Whether you're one or a hundred, you've experienced fear. It's a worldwide thing. Everyone has experienced fear. The business magazine Forbes, about five years ago, did this huge study to find out Australia's biggest fears. Um, Some of the things that they came up with was a fear of spiders, fear of snakes, fear of a girlfriend or boyfriend breaking up with them, Um, Things like fear of water, fear of terrorist attacks. Um, Those are all pretty shallow fears though. They're they're, there on the surface. But there's a couple of fears that everyone might face. Deeper fears. Fears like being rejected. Fears of being alone. Fears of dying. Fears of the future. Fears of the unknown. Those are the kind of fears that keep us up at night. They're the ones that everyone has faced at one stage. The first time that I ever experienced the power of fear was with my brother. See, when I was about six years old, I was a terrible person. Uh, So at the age of six, I told my brother that a pack of wolves had actually bought a house three doors down from us and that they were on the lookout for little boys to eat. Uh, He didn't sleep for a week. So that wasn't too bad, but then I actually told him that you, couldn't, you could die from not sleeping, at which stage he didn't sleep for another week. Um, so I found out very quickly, very early, that fear is powerful. Fear has real effects on us, doesn't it? The first time I personally experienced fear, my brother and I played a game uh, called Fear. We're not very imaginative or creative. Um, we had a long corridor, Right? A long corridor. And if you closed off all the doors, it was pitch black. We were about six, seven. And the game was, whoever could stay in the corridor long enough wins. The longest time that anyone ever got was a minute. So we're not very brave people. But a minute before fear overtook us. Fear of the unknown, fear of losing control, fear of what might be out there. That's what, that's what fear is for a lot of us. Fear of not having control. We, a lot of us obsess over having control. We like control and when we don't have it, we fear. That's, that's a problem, isn't it? Um, one thing that I've realized is that there's a relationship between what we fear and what we idolize. That's often why we fear as well. Because we lose control over what we idolize. Because we fear because it threatens what we actually idolize. What does that mean? Like personally, just being real with you all. My deepest fear, my deepest fear is that I will be found to be inadequate in everything I care about. I'll be found that you guys don't like me. That you'll see through a facade that I built for myself 
and you won't, see, you won't like what you see underneath that. That's my fear. But where does that come from? It comes because I idolize performance. You see, when you fear that, you have to, you have to be successful. You have to win. I very quickly became obsessed with performance. You see, if I was winning, if I was successful, if I was doing more, being better, then I don't have to worry about all that. I could just be successful. Very quickly I learnt that there's two ways of hiding. You can either hide in the middle of the crowd, never standing out, never really making a mark, or you can hide out in front, so far in front that no one ever questions what you're doing. No one ever questions what you fear. No one ever questions your motives. But the problem is that you have to do more and be better than everyone, and it leaves you exhausted. It's a terrible situation. Just being honest with you now. This is, not, this is not a good thing. This is not a godly thing. This is a thing that I have to repent of daily. This is my fears. But I'm sure I'm not the only one who is addicted to performance today, who fears the unknown. In fact, I'm pretty sure everyone would feel an element of that. We live in a very performance-driven society. But there's other fears as well. We have a family church. I wonder how many of us fear for our kids. I wonder how many of us idolize our kids so that we fear something might be happening to them. That's a real fear. But the thing is, there's a better way than fear. There is more to life than fear. In fact, Jesus says a lot about fear. See, these emotions that I'm feeling, this, this fear that you won't like me, the fear of inadequacy, he's saying there's a better way than that. The fear that something might happen, the fear of loss of control, there's a better way. And that's what I hope to find today. That's what I hope to tell you about today. There's a better way than succumbing to fear all the time. So we look in. Look at John six sixteen to 17. When evening came, His disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. There's two things that is trying to be evoked here, two emotions that the writer is trying to make us feel. The first one, the first thing that the the writer is trying to bring our attention to is that it's dark. Darkness is bad. Jesus is called the light of the world. Darkness is the enemy. Darkness is bad. When you hear about darkness in the Bible, it's bad news. Something is about to happen. Opposition is about to happen to whoever is doing something. Automatically, anyone reading this should feel, oh no, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? That's what the darkness is meant to evoke in us. It's dangerous. I grew up uh, in the northeast in a tiny town called Hurstbridge. Uh, the only reason most people know it is because it is literally the end of a train line. Uh, that's our claim to fame. The problem is, in Hurstbridge, it's partly a country town. If you go five minutes out one way, it's a country town. One way roads, no one will ever see you. And there were certain roads that when it was dark, you had to be, you had to be careful Because if you came off, it would be four hours, five hours, maybe 12, before someone would come across your car. Darkness was danger. You had to respect the darkness. 
He had to go underneath the speed limits, which as an 18-year-old I found very difficult. But you had to respect the darkness because you never knew what was coming next. The next thing that the writer is bringing to our attention is the sea. The disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea. In Jewish culture, the sea is not a good thing. The sea is ominous, chaotic and destructive. The sea is bad. Partly this is because in Jewish culture, the the Jews never really got out onto the sea. Most of Israel has got high high cliffs, rocky cliffs, and most of their boats would, would have been shattered by these cliffs. There were fishermen, but... The Jews never really got onto the, the, the sea trade. So the sea is bad, especially where they are now. So the disciples are in Galilee. So this is the sea, the lake of Galilee. And all around it, apart from the places where you could disembark by ship, there's 2,000 meter high cliffs that surround it. Off these cliffs, especially, comes cold winds. Israel and Galilee itself had hot, humid climates. And what happens when cold winds and humid climates come together is storms. Big, bad storms. So we've got darkness that's meant to evoke danger and also the sea, which is ominous and chaotic and destructive. Something is about to happen. We move forward. John 18 to 19. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. For the disciples, this would have been fearsome. This would have been crazy. This would have been like all their worst fears had come to pass. Some of the disciples like John... John, the, the, the disciple, he was a fisherman, so he would have kind of been okay. But the rest of the disciples, they stayed on the land. This would have been like the apocalypse. All hell is breaking loose. We've got a small boat, maybe, maybe taking about 12 people, and these huge waves crashing all around. This would have been the apocalypse. All hell is breaking loose on the seas. And the disciples are frightened. But then something happens that heightens their fears, that elevates it to an entirely new level. It says they see Jesus walking across the water, walking on the seas and coming near the boat. In the Gospel of Mark, which is another account of the life of Jesus, it says they thought it was a ghost. They thought it was a ghost. Now, the obvious uh, reaction to seeing a ghost is crying out, freaking out. Ghosts aren't real. What the hell is going on? The disciples were frightened. The disciples were afraid. The other thing is, in this text, Jesus, throughout John, presents himself as someone significant. Jesus presents himself as someone that you need to take notice of. But in this instance, he presents himself as something even more than that. Our society thinks Jesus is a good man. And I say amen to that. But even more than that, Jesus is the God-man. Even more than that. In Job 8 verse 9, it says, God alone stretches out the heavens and tramples on the waves of the sea. 
God alone. Jesus does something no man could ever do. And he's saying, I am God. It's important to take that. Jesus is in control here because he made the seas. Jesus can walk on water because he owns the seas. He is the creator, and as the creator, he controls the seas. Jesus is God. John 6, 20-21 says, But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The first thing that I realized is that Jesus deals with fear by revealing himself. He doesn't take the disciples out of the sea. He doesn't get them out of the boat. They're not immediately transported. He says, first off, it is I. It is God. It is the Lord. It is the Master. I am the one who controls this. Do not be afraid. It is I. I am Jesus. Do not be afraid. Jesus reveals himself, and that's how he deals with their fears. Like I said, Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is the God-man. The man descended out of heaven to save the world. He does, does things that no one can do. Suzanne asked, who can walk on water on their feet? Only Jesus Christ. He is the one alone who could do this. He is God. That's amazing. Jesus not only it wasn't struggling through the seas. He wasn't really, really like having to make an effort. He was walking calmly through these giant waves. He strode across the sea as the one who owned it. That's awesome. Before I say a few more things, it's important to note that this is not a parable. Jesus isn't saying this is exactly what life will be like. It's a historical narrative. This, this happens. This happened. This is a historical account. You might as well be reading a history book at this stage. But the thing that I've taken out of it is that it also, it also has some parallels to, to our lives as well. Jesus doesn't just help us to get out of a storm. He doesn't just take us out of the situation. He comes into the storm. So we've got a couple of reflections from this passage, which I want to share with you. The first one is, life with Jesus Christ does not equal smooth sailing. Life with Jesus Christ does not equal smooth sailing. I'm going to have to repeat it 70 times because that, is, that, that needs to be said. A lot of people have this opinion that if you believe, if you believe in Jesus, if you go to church then your life will be good. Not true. Life with Jesus does not equal smooth sailing. Our world, our friends, me, we pursue comfort. We want comfortable things, comfortable jobs, comfortable relationships, comfortable homes. We work hard so that we can come home to a life of comfort. But that's not always the case. Life with Jesus does not equal smooth sailing. And if we have this misconception, if we believe that life with Jesus will always mean awesome life, will always mean excellence, 
then we'll fall into three different traps. Either we'll blame ourselves, blame ourselves, we'll blame God, or we'll just ignore it and pretend like it's not there. The first thing that can happen is that we blame ourselves. We think, man, if I just tried harder, I wouldn't be in this situation. That's, that's, that's what a lot of us think. We believe in functional karma, that good things happen to those who are good. Good things come around. If you work hard, you'll be rewarded. But it's not true. And if, if you fall into that trap, one of the first things you'll do is blame yourself. I didn't try hard enough. I didn't work hard enough. I'm not doing enough. I need to work harder, do more, be more successful, and then I'll feel good. Then I'll have that life. Christians especially will spiritualize it. We'll say, if I just had more faith, if I just believed more, then, then, then I would have the life I wanted. Then God would reward me. But it's not true. You only have to look at the disciples. The disciples were obedient to God. They were obedient to Jesus. In another account, Jesus told them to go across the sea, across the lake. They were obedient. They'd done everything they needed to do, and yet they still experienced storms. They still experienced tough times. So that cannot be the case. The second thing which can happen is that we blame God. If God loved me, if God loved me, surely he would make my life better. If God loved me, he wouldn't give me this situation. He wouldn't give me this circumstance if he loved me. If God really loved me, he would hand me a bubble-wrapped life. That's, that's what we want, a comfortable life. But it's not true. <laughs> so we say, we say things... Actually, sorry. There was a... Um, a recent study in youth in America, the greatest and largest study of faith ever done in the world, trying to work out what youth of America believe. This was interdenominational, interfaith, Muslim, Buddhist, Islam, Hindu, Christian, Mormon, every denomination. And they found some scary things. The majority of young people believe in something called moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a big, long word. What does it mean? MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism. The moralistic part of it means that if you are good, you will have a good life. If you're moral, that's the point of life. You're meant to be a good person. Good people go to heaven. Good people get rewarded. God loves good people. That's it. The therapeutic part is that God is all about you. God is like a genie. You pray when you're in trouble and God will take away that trouble. Deism just means that you believe in a higher being. It doesn't necessarily mean that you believe in God of the Bible, God of the Quran, don't believe in Buddha or Allah. It just means that you believe in deism, something higher. But the reason that I'm bringing this up is that this kind of belief, this MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism, that's actually infiltrated every area. That's a really common belief in Australia. It's not just America, that's everywhere. God exists for me. God exists for my pleasure. If I'm a Christian, if I go to church, then I will be rewarded. If I do good things, good things will happen to me. God will reward me with a good and comfortable life, right? That's why we say things like, God will never give me more than I can, more than, more than I can handle. We've heard that. We've probably said that. How many, just, just tangent. How many people are on Facebook and Twitter? 
Just hands up if you're on Facebook or Twitter. Awesome. After the service, I need you to do something. I want to start a hashtag trending. I want to to get something happening. Hashtag, this is what I want you to write, go straight after the service. Don't talk to anybody, just go home, straight home, and say this. Hashtag, things Jesus never said, God will never give you more than you can handle. Hashtag, things Jesus never said, God will never give you more than you can handle. Because that's not true, it's not biblical. That's not what we believe. Christianity is based on the belief that we can't do it that we can't do it and Jesus has to come because he can do it. Jesus is built on the, uh, Christianity is built on the opposite belief and we need to spread that because so many people believe that God will never give you more than you can handle. It's just not true. It's just not true. And it breaks my heart to see people like that. The third thing that can happen, sorry, the what happens if you believe this, if you fall into this trap, is that you blame God. Because if God is meant to give you a good life and he doesn't, then he's at fault. If God is in control of giving you a good life, then I can be angry at him for this. I can be angry when he doesn't hand me a perfect life. But it's a trap. It's not true. It's a trap. Absolute snare. And so many people get caught. So many people. The third thing that can happen is that you just ignore it. This is being played out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram every day, absolutely every day, that people just ignore their worries. People just ignore their situations. You've probably, you've probably seen this. You've got friends. They're going through a divorce. They're going through a breakdown. They're having a hard time at work. They're about to be fired. They're having a really tough marriage. They're... they're something's going on and then you you log on to Instagram and you see a photo of them eating an ice cream and it says eating an ice cream hashtag best day ever hashtag life couldn't get better than this like how often does that happen that's so true yet it's such a bad response to storms it's such a bad response it's okay to admit that life is hard it's okay to admit that things aren't what you, what you seem, that things aren't what you want, that God's plan, you might not understand it at the moment, that there are storms that your kids might not be what, they want, what you want, that your marriage might not be what you want, that things are really tough. It's okay to admit that. That is actually the godly response. The reason I have to share this is that too many people have walked away from God because of storms. Too many people have walked away from Jesus because something tough has happened and they expected him to take it away and he didn't. And they walked away. And that breaks my heart. I work with young kids, teenagers, and I've seen it so often that it it literally breaks my heart and I can't stand to see it anymore. So I, I need to spread this message. I, um, I want to share a bit about my family, about my upbringing, because I think that my parents showed me a really godly response to tough times. Um, my my mum and my dad are my heroes. Um, I'll happily share that. My dad is a hard-working man. He sacrifices so much for me. He is, 
he's just, he's just put me first in all of his decisions. He's never failed to turn up to anything of mine. And my mum is the best person I've ever met. Like, my mum is, like, genuine. My mum should be a saint. Um, she had a car accident at the age of 25. She was told she'd never walk again. Within two years, she was walking again. And since then, she has been my inspiration. Because she is an absolute trooper. But our family has gone through tough times. When I was 12, my dad lost his job. Um, the Dunlop Tire Factory shut down. He was a manager there. And he was out of work for four years. During that time, my mum had a nervous breakdown. Uh, and our family was very nearly torn apart. Month after month, my mum would just sit in bed, not do much. This is my hero. Just absolutely devastated. Um, these are the people that I love more than anything. But you know what they showed me? In all of this turmoil, in all of this devastation, when our family was very nearly torn apart, when our family was at its lowest, they showed me that you can only cry out to God, that that's the response we have to take, that life does give us more than we can handle. Life does give us more than we can handle, and we need to take that to God. Because otherwise, we will be crushed. I honestly believe that if my parents didn't cry out to God during that time, they wouldn't still be together. That I, I wouldn't have the family. I honestly believe that. And that's really tough to admit. But I've got to share that. I was reading this week, my wife Sarah is actually, we've got a chalkboard and she's written something up. And it's Psalm 61 too. And that sums it up. In Psalm 61.2, this is what it says. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of this earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge. That's the first three verses of, of Psalm 61. That is the biblical response. That's what we've got to do to fear. Absolutely. When, when we are overwhelmed, when fear has us surrounded, when those waves are crashing around us, we've got to take it to the rock that is higher than I. We've got to take it to the cross. That is what we have to do or we will be smashed. We will be smashed. If we ignore it, if we blame ourselves, if we blame God, we will continually and perpetually be smashed by waves. Time and time and time again. We've got to bring it to God. Because there is stuff that is more than we can handle. And we have to take it to God. He's the one in control. The second thing that I got out of this reading is that Jesus, Jesus, God himself, comes into our storms. Jesus comes into our storms to deal with our fears. Did you notice that throughout, throughout the reading of John, that Jesus didn't meet them at the other side? Jesus met them in the middle of the storm. He wasn't waiting for them on the other side of, of the lake. He wasn't saying, boys, I'm really glad that you handled that. Well done. I'm, I'm really proud. I'm really proud that you could handle that. No, he came into their storm. He came into their turmoil. He came into the devastation when the waves are crashing all around. And he said, it is I. Do not be afraid. He came into the storm. 
Jesus, so, so many people think that Jesus is a distant God, that the God that we believe in is far away, that he's up in heaven and we're down here. He has nothing to say about the everyday. That's what so many people believe. But this is not true. Jesus is talking to the apostles here, but he might as well be talking to us. When he says, it is I, do not be afraid, he might as well be talking to us. He's saying, I see your fears. I see your turmoil. I see your devastation. And I'm coming into it and speaking truth. I'm coming into it so that I can say, it is I, it is Jesus, do not be afraid. Jesus comes into our fears. Jesus comes into our fears to deal with them. So many people tell God how big their fears are. They say, God, I've got, I'm stressing about this. But do we, ever tell, do we ever tell our fears how big God is? We honestly believe in a God that created the universe, that created every emotion, that created everything on this planet, but that he's not bigger than our fears? Come on. Jesus has power here. We need to cry out for him, cry out to him. My fears, my fears need to die. The fear that I have of being inadequate, the fear of that you won't like me, that you will see through a facade of performance that I create for myself, that needs to die. And Jesus comes into that to tell me that. Every fear that I have, every fear that you have needs to go to the cross. Every single one of them. It doesn't matter what you're facing, every single fear has been dealt with on the cross. And that is truth. That is a promise from Jesus. Every single fear. If you, you fear being rejected, because of the cross, Jesus says you're accepted. If you fear being alone, Because of the cross, Jesus says, I am with you. If you fear death, Jesus says, death has no sting because of the cross. Because of the cross, for everyone who believes in him, fear is dead. Fear is dead. Fear has no power over us. Yes, we will experience fear. But we need to take it to God and God will say, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. There is no place in this universe that Jesus will not say mine and there is no fear. There is no fear that anyone has experienced today that Jesus cannot say, it is I, do not be afraid. But, you know, I want to set a vision. Can you imagine a church that looked like that? Can you imagine a fearless church A church that every time storms hit. A a church that every time tough times hit, they took it to God. Can you imagine a fearless church? That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the church that I think will change the world. A fearless church. I um, I, I got to pray. I got to pray with a lady about about a couple of weeks ago, maybe a while ago. And she was facing a diagnosis of, of terminal cancer. Nothing would fill me with more fear than death, than terminal cancer. But do you know what she said to me? You know what she said? I don't fear because God is in control. I don't fear because God is in control. Can you imagine if every single person 
today was filled with that kind of fearlessness. This would be a church that would change the world. That would be amazing. A scared world. A scared world needs a fearless church. This world is filled with fears. It is dark, it is dangerous, it is ominous, chaotic, destructive out there. It's dangerous and dark. A scared world needs a fearless church. If you're Christian today, I want to say something to you. If you're Christian, you have nothing to fear. If you believe in God, you have nothing to fear. If you believe, if you're a person of faith, Jesus says every past sin is abolished. Every past sin is taken care of. Every past sin is dealt with. Your current life, you believe in a God that's sovereign, that a God that is in control, and you have the promise of eternal life. There is literally nothing to be afraid of. What can, what can be separated? The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God not, not heights, nor depths, nor angels, nor demons. Nothing can separate us from God. There is nothing to fear. There is literally nothing to fear. So if you're filled with fear today, if you are filled with fear, take it to God and pray that you'll be fearless. We follow a fearless leader, Jesus Christ, the master of the sea, the healer, the great man who died a death to set the world free. That's the, one we, that's the one we follow. So I want to see a fearless church following a fearless leader and being a fearless people. That will be an amazing vision. That's the kind of thing that people would stand up and take notice of. Did you see that guy? He's facing cancer, but he's not afraid because of God. Did you see that, that girl? She's going through a divorce, but you know what? She's taken all her fear to God. Do you see that person who worries about their kids? They take it to God every time. And he says, it is I, do not be afraid. That would be an amazing witness to the world if we could be a fearless church. Because here's the deal. Christians will never convince the world there is peace at the cross if you are consumed by fear. If we honestly believe that when Jesus Christ says it is finished, it is done, if we honestly believe that, then it is finished. There is peace. All our turmoil, it is finished at the cross. So I want to, make, I want to take a stand today. As the band comes up, we're going to sing a song, but I want to make a stand today that we would be a fearless church, that when we go out and we share with Jesus, that we share our lives with people, we would be a fearless church. I pray today, I pray absolutely, that whatever fear you're facing, I pray that you take it to God and that you hear these words, it is I, do not be afraid. That if you are a Christian, if you believe in God, if you believe in the promises of Jesus, then there is no fear there is nothing that can separate you from God today. Absolutely nothing. There is no fear because Jesus Christ says, It is I, it is Jesus, it is Lord. Do not be afraid.
Amen. You've been listening to the Anglican Church Caroline Springs podcast. For more information, go to taccs.org.au.